before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God already had determined a purpose for your life, a God-given purpose. God has a purpose to train you in what you're called to do, and I tell you, Karis Bible College is the place for that. Man, if you want a life change, come to Karis. Come on to Karis! The next two to three years could be the most powerful time of your life. If you sit under the Word for four hours a day, for five days a week, for two or three years, I guarantee you, you are going to have God speak to you and start revealing purpose to you. Every one of you are created for a purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry focusing on God's unconditional love and grace. On today's broadcast, Andrew's joined by author and advocate for Christian apologetics, Alex McFarland. Internally, the Bible affirms itself. Externally, the evidence supports it. And if I'm gonna believe God on eternity, I wanna believe God on creation. And now, here's Andrew. Today, we are continuing a special interview with Alex McFarlane, and he's been my guest, started yesterday. He's going to be with me all of this week. We're offering his book here about the 10 most common objections to Christianity. And Alex is a good brother, uh, many different things, but he is a Christian apologetic. And the reason I was drawn to him is because God has really laid on my heart to just start dealing with a biblical worldview. And I mean systematically, strategically, going through talking about the Bible being accurate, uh, uh, Christianity, uh, creationism versus evolution, then going into the nature of God, the nature of man, talking about all of these things. And so I'm in the process of doing it, but I'm still a year out. And so I just wanted to invite Alex. And Alex, yesterday you were saying on our program, I think you've been doing uh, uh, truth for a new generation yes, for sir. 22 years. Yes, sir. 100,000 or more youth that you've ministered yeah. to. And uh, so he is an expert in this area. And well, I'm just glad to have you on my program. Well, brother, I am so honored. I, <laughs> I have just appreciated you for so many years. And um, let me say just how much I love Karis Bible College, too. And um, our mutual friend, Mark Cowart, brought me up here a few years ago. And um, you're, a, you're ahead of the curve. Uh, Karis, having uh, the School of Practical Government, and we do biblical worldview and apologetics, um, the Christian schools that exist, they're either going to do apologetics or they're going to need to do apologetics. And so you're really innovating here, brother. You know, I heard a statistic that I think it's 75 or 80 percent of Christian youth uh, renounce their faith or lose their faith within one year of being in secular and, uh, college. It's very sad. I mean, that is terrible. If we were fighting a war and you knew that 75 to 80 percent of your troops were going to be killed in the first battle, you would have to change your battle plan or we would absolutely lose any battle you went into. I know. And yet this is what's happening with Christianity and the fault, as you were quoting Charles Finney on my program yesterday, the fall lies at the feet of the clergy mm -hmm. because the churches aren't preaching these things. 
And uh, I would like to jump back into this. At the end of yesterday's program, we were beginning to say that the Bible has to be the foundation. We can't go to society and say, well, now we're supposed to be tolerant uh, towards this sin and towards that sin, and we're moving away from the Bible. The Bible has to be the foundation. Amen. And so how do you uh, counter the criticisms of even the Christians sometimes, not just the lost, that the Bible isn't accurate in all of its detail. It's just a vague representation. How do well, you deal with that? Great question. The question, is the Bible the Word of God and can I trust the Bible? Uh, there, there's a long answer and a short answer. The short answer is, I believe the Bible is the Word of God because Jesus said so when He was raised from the dead. Amen. That's awesome. I, I mean, think about it. Um, the critic, the one who doubts the Bible, Unless they are virgin-born, sinless, can walk on water and raise from the dead, I'm going to go with the assessment of Scripture from the only man that ever did that. I like that. That's very good. Yeah. And, and uh, Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, um, Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. And so I want my position on Scripture to be in harmony with that of the risen Savior. But uh, to flesh it out a little more, um, That's good. God gave His Word. God preserved His Word. God opens our mind that may, we may understand and receive His Word. Um, the Israelites were meticulous about preserving the Scriptures. And, you know, they, they on parchment and scroll, scribes were copyists, and they would count the letters forward and backward. When we lead tours to the Holy Land, we go to the Shrine of the Book, and it's amazing. Uh, how the Jewish people cared and preserved the Scriptures, and they were uh, led by God to do that. Now, Genesis through Malachi is the Old Testament, and really, even critical scholars don't question the preservation of the Old Testament. But Matthew through Revelation is the New Testament, and that's where we've got to really help people understand that it has been preserved, it is infallible, and, and without error. We, we use the word inerrant. That means without error. And, and I would say this, Andrew, uh, the Bible is the Word of God. God cannot lie. Therefore, the Bible cannot lie. Um, so if we've got a perfect God, by definition, we're going to have a perfect Word from this perfect God. Amen. I believe that. And you know, the Scripture says of itself that uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. And that phrase there given by inspiration of God, it literally means God breathed. God breathed. The Bible claims that it is not men writing about God, but it is God specifically speaking through men and communicating His Word. Amen. And if you don't believe that, if you just believe that the Bible is a vague representation, well then I believe that that is like the faulty foundation whereby oh, yeah. everything else crumbles. You have to start with this as a foundation. I want to challenge everybody listening to begin to read the Word of God. Um, brother, I don't want to talk about myself, but uh, I give God the glory. Psalm 115, verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, give glory, but unto Thy name give glory for the sake of the truth. But by God's grace, when I got saved, somehow I just begin to read the Bible. I had this insatiable desire to read the Word of God. Everything, and my wife Angie would concur, we are who we are because of reading the Word Absolutely. of God. And I would beg people, uh, we can talk about defending it, and I want to do that, but one call to action, just read it. 
Read the Gospel of John, 21 chapters, about 15 minutes a day. You read a chapter a day, three weeks you've read the Gospel of John. Uh, I would encourage people to read the book of Proverbs. That is God's book of wisdom. And Proverbs 1-7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the starting point of being Mm -hmm. wise. Brother, you can't be wise without the Word of God. Now, in this information age, and there's so much data, and they say there's 125 terabytes of information for every human on the planet. There are a lot of people that are smart, but they're not wise. Mm -hmm. The book of Proverbs, 31 chapters in a month, you can read God's book of wisdom. And I would, I would make a challenge to everybody, begin to read the Word of God and your life will be transformed. You know, earlier you said one of the greatest indications for the accuracy of the Scripture is to see Jesus and how He said that it was the accurate Word of God. Something that parallels that, I was in Vietnam holding a Bible study, and this is right after I would first gotten turned on to the Lord. And I had an atheist, a Princeton graduate come in, and he was an intellectual and he started asking me these tough questions that I didn't have answers for. And I wasn't an apologetic, apologist. And so I didn't have an answer for him. But basically, the only thing I could do was to say, I know Jesus is real because he talks to me. Amen. I have a relationship. And I know the Bible is real because God speaks to me. The Word has come alive. Amen. And he just ridiculed me. And there was about seven or eight people in my Bible study, and he got up and he says, you're a fool. And he walked out and took all of my Bible study with him. They went with him instead of with me. Oh, man. But I was sitting there about 30 minutes later just thinking about, God, that was a total failure. What could I have done differently? And this guy walks back in, and he says, I want what you've got. And I thought, you do. Praise God. I said, why? Because you out-taught me. And he says, my whole life is based on an argument. It's based on intellectual things. He says, I pride myself on that. And he says, I just made a fool out of you, and yet you still believe. you got something that is beyond just reason. You've got a relationship. And he says, I want that. And I got to lead this guy to the Lord. Amen. Amen. It goes back to the same thing you're saying. We know that the Bible is true because of Jesus and he verified it Mm -hmm. and stuff, but also because we have a personal relationship with him and God speaks to us through the word. It's the living words, what it says in uh, Hebrews 4.12. It's alive. Amen. It it is. And do you know what? Um, I want to talk about some of the evidence for the manuscripts because God has preserved the Word. Um, But I would encourage everybody to be bold and brave and conscientious enough if it's, do you believe that the the Lord created in six days? Yes. Don't ever be ashamed. Do you believe that Moses parted the Red Sea? Yes. Do you believe Jesus was born of a virgin, had no sin? Yes. Don't ever be ashamed to affirm that you believe the Word of God. And I'll tell you why. I've had many people, they'll say, Alex, um, I'm just embarrassed. My friends would think I'm foolish or something like that. That friend whose opinion you put so much stock in, they didn't hang on a cross and die for you. Jesus did. Don't make an idol out of the approval of man. That's right. And and, you know, so never be ashamed. When I was in college in, in North Carolina, and I my friends knew my life was different. I had accepted Christ. And I mean, my buddies, they made fun of me. And I remember one Sunday afternoon, I bought them all a Bible, took it to them. And, and one of them looked at me and said, do you mean to tell me, are you one of these now? And if, if I don't believe in Jesus, I can't go to heaven. Are you? And there's like 10 of my buds, 
my guys I ran with and they're looking at me. And I said, if you don't accept Jesus, you will not go to heaven. They laughed and they blew me off. Do you know, one by one over the years, they said, Alex, do you remember that day? And we just railed on you and you sat there alone. Yeah. And one by one, they said, Alex, I didn't want to say anything, but I really respected you. That's right. And the, the unbeliever that, like your friend, he respects you. But let me tell you something that's exciting about the New Testament. Okay, the New Testament is the Gospels and the book of Acts, which is the story of the Holy Spirit birthing the church. And then there's uh, Romans and all the letters of Paul. And then there's the book of Revelation, prophecy, eschatology. Well, the early Christians would copy and copy, and there are roughly 30,000 portions of the New Testament floating around. Now, I was debating an atheist, and I asked him, I said, is there any Christian scholar that's conservative, a Bible believer you do respect? And he named this one particular guy. And, and here is something that I've written about in a number of my books. In addition, this is so exciting, in addition to the New Testament manuscripts, there are early church correspondence. Now, would you believe... Um, Archaeologists and scholars have isolated, they'll find a parchment with a verse written on it. One Christian in one city writes somewhere, over a half million, this is, this is amazing, a half million examples of early church correspondence have been found. And if we didn't own or have any of the New Testament manuscripts, we could completely reconstruct verbatim the entire New Testament just based on early church correspondence. I've heard that. I think that there's only 11 verses or something like that in the whole New Testament. Well, let me speak to that. Okay. Uh, th there was a German scholar named Hans von Kampenhausen, and he isolated about 86,000 early church verse references. And for a long time, we used to say about 11 verses, right? So I'm talking to Dr. Dan Wallace in Texas, probably the greatest living New Testament scholar, Bible believer. And I said, you know the statement, 86,000 verse citations, we could reconstruct all but 11 verses. He said, you, well, you really can't say that anymore. Because you found more. I said, he said, no, all the parchments are more than a half million. He said, we could reconstruct every verse. Oh, wow. I hadn't heard Even that. Even if the 30,000, and Sean McDowell, son of Josh McDowell, yeah. he's written on this as well. My point being this, folks, God has preserved His Word. Now, the content and believing it, that's another step. And the content says you must be born again. But you can trust, you can depend on it, that God's Word has been preserved. Yeah. And, you know, I read in Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and I'm sure you'll probably be able to give the exact stats, but he was talking about the witness of manuscripts, and he compared it to Homer's Iliad, which is the number one thing we have copies of. But compared to the Bible, it is infinitesimal. Oh, yeah. And if we believe that those things were accurate, well, then the vast number of manuscripts that we have just uh, verify the accuracy of the Scripture many times over. You know, uh, Josh talks about what's called manuscript attestation, mm -hmm. things that attest to the trustworthiness. Now, the works of antiquity, like the Annals of Caesar and Herodotus and some historians, and you mentioned Homer's Iliad, the most well-attested work of the ancient world, 643 copies. And from the time of the writing to the copies we have, there's a gap of more than 500 years. 
Okay, 643 copies. No credible historian would throw out Homer's Iliad. Yeah. All right, the Bible, from the time of the writing to the copies we have, roughly 20 years. Yes. And how many copies? Not 643. 30,000 copies, a half million portions. Um, one of the greatest historians that ever lived was named Will Durant. He wrote the history of civilization. He was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Will Durant's um, history of civilization has been called one of the most important works of history in history. And Will Durant said, if you can't trust the Bible, we'll have to throw out a hundred other yeah. things. He said, the Bible is a hundred times more trustworthy than any of the works no historian would question. Yeah, and another point you were making, the Iliad had 500-year gap between the writing and the first copy. The New Testament has like 20 years, yeah. and one of the uh, uh, consequences of that is that if the writings we have of the New Testament were in error, there were people still alive. There were eyewitnesses. They would have spoken up and countered it. Amen. And instead of any of this uh, being rejected, it was confirmed by eyewitnesses sure. to every one of these facts. Well, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, which is the great chapter on the resurrection, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, and he said, um, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, um, I gave unto you that which I first received, how Christ died, was buried according to the Scriptures, the third day rose again from the dead. And he was seen by the disciples and the women, up to 500 brethren yep. at once. Mm -hmm. And what Paul was essentially saying was, look, if you don't believe me, ask them. They're still around. Uh, you know, it's been in interesting that um, the 500 eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus, if each were given five minutes on a witness stand, you would have over 24 hours of positive confirming testimony to the risen Jesus. In the ancient world, a court decision could be decided by one eyewitness, and yet for the risen Jesus. And Luke 24, touch me, you'll see a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Jesus rose from the dead, and 500 people knew it, they saw it, and we're here today because that living Savior still is alive and changing. Amen. I believe that the Bible is 100% accurate. It's God-breathed. It's God-inspired. It says over in, uh, I believe it's 2 Peter chapter 1, around verse 20 or 21, it says people wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And W.E. Vine says as they were carried along like, Amen. you know, a tsunami or a flood or something. It was God-inspired. Amen. You know, we had a president. I'm not going to mention his name, but he claimed to be a Christian. And yet he advocated homosexuality and a lot of things that were contrary to Christianity. And he was asked a question uh, in a conference about you claim to be a Baptist, and yet you um, advocate these things that are contrary to what the Word says. How do you justify that? And he basically says that the Bible, you have to interpret it based on the time that it was written. It was for those people. We live in a different day. It's a different situation. And basically, he just threw the Bible out mm. as not being authoritative, but just somewhat of a representation of God. And that's where so many Christians are today. If it was true, it still is Amen. true. And if it is true, it will still be true. Um, you know, Jesus said in John 5.39, Search the Scriptures, for they testify of me. 
John 8, 24, Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Okay, we really don't have any legitimate reason to cherry pick. Okay, I'll accept this about Jesus, but I'll reject that about morality. And um, if, if you're going to critique the Word of God, you're really undermining the Son of God. Absolutely. Because Jesus affirmed the Scripture over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned 2 Peter 1. I love that chapter. Chapter 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. It begins, I love this, For we have not followed cleverly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses, says Peter. Now, Andrew, I take great comfort. People, sometimes they'll say, well, apologetics and biblical worldview, that's really deep and that's very cerebral. All right, in the New Testament, you've got Luke the physician and Paul, a scholar. They were brilliant. I take great comfort in 2 Peter and 1 Peter, written by not Luke the... Fisherman. (laughs) Plain old Peter. Yeah. 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give an answer. 2 Peter 1... He goes, we've not followed cleverly devised fables. We were eyewitnesses. The voice came from the excellent glory. But then it goes on, it says, and we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed. See, Second Peter, Jesus, uh, the, the Son of God, Scripture, the Word of God, holy men of God spake, and it says that the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. See, the Bible wasn't something man just decided to write. How did it come? Holy men of God wrote as they were given word by the Holy Ghost. And so we, internally, the Bible affirms itself. Externally, the evidence supports it. We, we call on the church to take God at His word, read the word, believe the word, impart the word to your children, but tell this world the unchanging word of God and don't ever be ashamed to say so. You know, another thing about the Bible is it's unique in the fact that it was written by over 40 different authors. It was written over what? A, a, what a 15, 1,600-year period. And there is no other book like this. Plus, it was written uh, by in these different languages and all of these things. There is no other book in the history of the world that is even comparable to the Bible. And yet many people just dismiss it out of hand as, oh, we don't want to be prejudiced by that. How in the world could a person say that they're objective and really examining the facts if they don't affect the, uh, examine uh, the claims of a book that has changed the world more than any other book, mm-hmm. unique in the way it was written, the number of people, the times, everything else. It's just intellectually dishonest for people not to examine the truths of, that the Word of God produces. Well, you know, America's founders said uh, that book, sir, is the rock on which the republic rests, which is the Bible. Um, You and I are friends with David Barton. David Barton is an amazing scholar, Bill Federer. And of of the, the writings of the founders, the notes of Jefferson, the Federalist Papers by Alexander Hamilton, the Declaration, the number one source they quote more than 3,000 yes. times is the Bible. They either quote or allude to the Bible. And so, yes, it is the most influential book in history. I would say the Bible is the most influential book in our own history. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're out of time again. Uh-oh. But you know, Jefferson, he started, wasn't he, didn't he start or he was the president of the American Bible Society? He did. And, and started. So the, for a guy who they claimed to be a non-religious, 
he sure promoted the Bible and certainly believed the tenets of it. So you've got this book entitled The Ten Most Common Objections to Christianity. Real quickly, why should a person get this? Well, th this is based on interviews with skeptics and young people that have fallen away, college professors. The Ten Most Common Objections and How to Answer Them. There's a study guide. There's even an appendix for parents, how to instill a biblical worldview into your teens. So hopefully they won't fall away. Man, I think that's awesome. So this is our offer that we're making today. Our announcer is going to give you more information. And I also encourage you to go to Alex's uh, website. It'll be here on the screen. And we encourage you to check that out. You've got how many books have you written? 18. 18? Yes, sir. Wow. Very prolific. Very good. So anyway, we're going to have him back tomorrow. We're going to continue to talk about this. And I tell you, you need not only for your sake, but so that you can be the salt and the light that God wants you to be, not only among your friends, but in this nation. The body of Christ needs to stand up and start speaking out on these things. And this is a tool that I think will really, really help you. So listen as our announcer gives you all of this information. And also check us out again tomorrow. I'm going to have, continue to have Alex McFarland on my program tomorrow talking about a biblical worldview. Welcome to the AWM Minute, a quick look at how your partnership with Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College has been raising up disciples and leaders for 25 years, enabling Karis to spread to over 60 campus locations worldwide. Campuses on nearly every continent are discipling students in their own language and culture with the same life-changing message of God's love and grace. Not everybody can come to Colorado, so I think the satellite schools make it possible for a lot more students to, to go through the Bible school courses. The schools provide a very needed ingredient to modern day living, and that is more of God's Word in a concentrated form. They're allowing Christians who are hungry for more to get more without having to move to do it. Thank you, partners. For 25 years, your support has sent the message of God's love and grace to students around the world. Visit KarisBibleCollege.org to find a campus near you and start your journey today. Karis Third Year is equipping an army to go into the seven mountains of influence in every society. In our third year school of practical government, you will be equipped with a solid foundation to effectively impact the arena of government. Receive world-class instruction from renowned teachers in the history of American government, the Constitution, and a biblical worldview, and go with your classmates on a tour of the Capitol. It really broadens your idea of what a nation is and God's plan for a nation. It's an opportunity of a lifetime to find out about the origins of our nation, our history, and who we are as a people. Ignite your vision and take your mountain. For more information on our third year school of practical government, go to karisbiblecollege.org slash third year. Come and join Andrew Womack and Jeremy Pearsons in Washington, D.C. for the 2019 Gospel Truth Conference. Mark your calendars for September 19th through the 21st. You won't want to miss this free conference. We hope you enjoyed today's interview with Alex McFarland. If you'd like more information about Alex's ministry or his books titled The Ten Most Common Objections to Christianity and The 21 Toughest Questions Your Kids Will Ask About Christianity and How to Answer Them Confidently, visit his website at alexmcfarland.com. 
Andrew would like to make his teaching titled, How to Stay Positive in a Negative World, available to you. This teaching is available in a CD album, as seen on TV DVD album, or as a live DVD album made from a Gospel Truth seminar. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. Join us again tomorrow as Andrew continues his interview with Alex McFarland.